You can turn into your, in your Bibles to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. And we're going to be taking a look at verses 1 through 17 this morning. And, and if you'd like to use the Pew Bible there provided uh, for you, it's on page 848. Page 848, John chapter 15. We invite you, uh, please, to join us in looking at the scriptures together. Because the authority uh, of God in our lives is not any human voice, but it's the voice of God as it's written down in His Holy Word. Amen? Amen. And so we invite you to uh, follow along and, and read the words for yourselves here from, from John chapter 15. But uh, we just sang that song, Just As We Are. Just as I am, Lord, I come to you. And if you didn't know this, the good news of Jesus Christ is that we could be brought into his family. We could have all of our sins washed away. We could be rescued from eternal punishment and judgment in hell just as we are through faith and repentance. We turn away from our sin. We believe wholly in Jesus Christ. And he says, you've come to me in the only way that you can, by my grace, through Jesus alone. That is good news, friends. It is good news, and we just sang it just as I am. doesn't matter what you did last night. doesn't matter what you did Friday night. If you come here today, or even in your home, wherever you are, when you come to God through faith in Jesus Christ, you can be accepted in His sight. And this is good news. We receive forgiveness. We receive new life in Jesus Christ. Well, what does it look like as we take those first steps then after we've crossed that line into God's kingdom through faith? Oftentimes, we've got a great gospel message that says, I'm going to enter in by faith and trust in Jesus alone. And then oftentimes we live as if the rest of our Christian lives are up to us after that. Through striving, through working, through, through ability, through effort. What does it mean then to live the Christian life? To live a life... That follows Jesus Christ. If we were to go out on the street and ask people randomly, what, what does it mean to live as a Christian? And I bet you you'd get 101 different ideas from 50 different people, right? What does it mean to live as a Christian? Uh, it's to follow a set of rules or regulations. It's a, maybe a political ideology or some sort of way to, to live, but, but it probably would include a lot of human effort to live as a Christian. But how about our lives as a whole? Let's think about your life right now, my life. When we consider our lives, our, our hopes, our dreams, our desires, and our goals, uh, I think we'd like to seek to become the best version of ourselves, right? I don't know about you, but I don't want to have unmet potential. I, I'd like to be able to be and do all that, that I was created to be and do. Uh, so oftentimes, in order to become the best version of ourselves, we want to add new skills or maybe begin new relationships or set new goals or chart new career paths uh, to our lives to make up for any deficiencies or, or maybe just to fulfill our overall desires. We, we take great lengths to find what it is that we want to be or become. And advertisers know this, don't they? You know, turn on the radio if we even listen to that or, you know, turn on the television or scrolling through a social media page. We see advertisers. And they prompt us to try this, buy that, become this with a quick and easy fix. And we could add that to our lives and our lives can become better, right? Uh, you know, I, I think my smartphone uh, honestly is spying on me because I get lots of advertisements for hair treatment, right? <laughs> and, uh, you know, a simple little hair treatment maybe will put something on the top of my head. But uh, I think I'm past that stage in my life at this moment. But we think maybe uh, like a custom car or a, or a custom home, maybe we could add a little more muscle or we could add some new luxuries or some new additions or upgrades, right? But then let's think about how that relates to living the Christian life. Uh, when we consider our lives, uh, we may think that, that a commitment to follow Jesus is, is an upgrade to our lives. Maybe he's treated or thought of like a new addition or, or an add-on, even a significant one. I mean, come on, after all, uh, when we put faith in Jesus, we're getting to go to heaven when we die, right? That's a pretty good addition, right? But when it comes down to it, we may think of it this way, that Jesus is added on to us. Jesus is something that we supplement to our lives. I, I live my life and Jesus 
Well, however significant he is, he's still a part of my life. I go to church, I read my Bible, I pray, I may even give for my resources and, and serve occasionally at the church. And, and we're relieved that we've added Jesus to our lives. He's a part of it because he gives us some additional sense of purpose and, and protection. The problem with that way of thinking, however, is that it's not the picture of the Christian life from the Bible. What we're going to see today from John 15, verses 1 to 17, we'll see that life with Jesus is not illustrated in such a way that it shows him being added to our lives. No, we're invited into his life. Jesus is not merely an add-on to our lives. Now, what kind of illustration does Jesus use then? Well, we'll see in John chapter 15, an illustration I think many of us will actually be fairly familiar with. And I think we've got a, a photograph of that available to you just to get that image in, <coughs> excuse me, in your mind. You see, the picture we're going to see today from John chapter 15, the illustration that Jesus provides his disciples is that of a vineyard. God's vineyard. You see, we don't have to go to modern-day Israel in the Middle East to get an idea of what this looks like. In fact, we can drive about 30 to 60 minutes to the north of us, right? And we can see the beautiful Sonoma and Napa Valleys just covered in vineyards for miles and miles and miles. And people from all over the world love to come and visit the wine country here in Northern California. We see, as we drive along, though, as you're driving through the Napa Valley and into those country roads, what do you see, especially this time of year? Well, in those vineyards, we see people tending those vineyards. Gardeners, farmers, harvesters. We see vines. We see branches. And we see grapes. This is the picture that Jesus appeals to in our passage today. And what Jesus wants us to understand is this. That we don't merely add Jesus to our lives. But he is our life. His life is our life. And that's our big idea today from John chapter 15. His life is our life. So before we open up the scriptures and read together, let's ask for God's blessing that we would see the life that he wants us to have today from John chapter 15. Let's bow and pray together. Our Father in heaven, we come to you today and we are grateful that you have answered our prayers and the prayers of Jesus himself. You've sent the Holy Spirit down to illuminate, to turn on the light switch of our minds and hearts, that we may receive the word of God. I, and I pray Psalm 119.18 would be fulfilled in our midst today, that we would behold wonderful things out of your law, and that we'd be changed by it, Father. So would you do that today as we open your scriptures? In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17 say this. Follow along as I read aloud. Jesus says, <coughs> excuse me, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. 
Now Jesus is, is getting done with his conversation with the disciples at the Last Supper. He's washed his disciples' feet. He's told them many things. He's warned them that, that they are going to walk away from him. That one of them in their midst is going to actually betray him to his enemies who want to kill him. And that even Peter, the leader amongst the disciples, would deny him three times. And he could probably see the concern on their faces. I know my face would probably show the concern that I had in my heart. And so Jesus began to comfort his disciples and he said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. I'm here to give you comfort and peace. And he starts to give promise after promise. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to send the spirit who's going to live in you. I'm going to give you my peace that surpasses all understanding. And on and on and on he says, I, you ask anything in the Father's name and, and, and my name and the Father will do it for you. Jesus is giving promises to his friends in these moments they were going to get very, very tough soon. And so we see at the end of chapter 14, he says, Rise, let's go. Let's get out of here. And I don't know exactly how it all happens, but it seems to me that Jesus is going with his disciples to journey over to the Garden of Gethsemane, across the valley in Jerusalem, over to the Mount of Olives. But it almost seems as if he's just leaving and going out the door, and he's, and he's thinking about all that he's just said to them, and he says, Ah, I've got an illustration that will help solidify it for you. I'm so, that, I'm so glad that Jesus talked in parables, that he talked in, in illustrations. I don't know about you, but I love to be able to see visual pictures that help me get an understanding of what God is trying to teach us. And so Jesus, being the master teacher, whether he saw a vineyard there as they began to walk the streets of Jerusalem, or maybe he saw the great engraving of a vineyard uh, and, a, and a vine on the, on the great temple as they walked by it, whatever, whatever it was that sparked Jesus' mind, he tells them, men, I want you to understand something. I'm the vine, you're the branches. And so as we look at this illustration, we'll see several things. First of all, we'll take a look at the gardener, the gardener of this vineyard. Secondly, we'll look at the vine, the vine in this vineyard. Thirdly, we'll take a look at the branches. And then finally, we'll examine what does Jesus mean when he says, abide in me, abide in me. Well, let's jump into it together. First of all, we look at the gardener. Verses 1 through 3 of chapter 15. Again, Jesus says, I'm the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Really, the idea there is that he's the farmer. He's the gardener. He's the one that comes in, and he's in charge of all of it. He's the one that tends his vineyard. This is God's vineyard we're talking about. Well, what does this, this vine dresser do? Well, first of all, in verse 2, it says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. He takes away. Verse 6 is similar. It says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Here's something we got to understand here. It's, it's basic uh, vine work understanding here, right? Uh, when a farmer goes in and he sees that there's a dead and lifeless branch on the vine, what it's doing there is that it's just taking up space. It's crowding the other branches from being able to spread out and have fruit. Or it could be sucking any little bit of life out of the vine so that the good branches, the life full, uh, the branches that are full of life can have fruit. And so what does that gardener do? He, he, he cuts off those dead branches and they're not good for anything anymore. They're dead, they're dry, they're good for just being thrown into the fire. But we also see that this farmer this gardener, he does something also to the good branches, the branches that are full of life. Again, it says in verse 2, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You see, this farmer, he's a master, master farmer. Now, I'm not a good gardener. Uh, I don't have a green thumb. Uh, I think I have a black thumb that kills things. I inherited that from my parents. Thank you so much, mom and dad. But my wife, my wife is actually an excellent gardener, and she's inherited that from the green thumb of my father-in-law and my mother-in-law. And they do an amazing job. I love going to their house, uh, several houses now. They always have these beautifully planted gardens. And I'm so impressed with my father-in-law because he's got this, this one apple tree. And when you look at it, you see this trunk, and it's got all these different spots on it where you can see cuts have been made. Pruning has happened. And you can see little stems and branches that have been cut off. But then when you get up to the top, you see several, I mean, really robust branches coming off. And they're amazing. They've got all kinds of green foliage on them, beautiful leaves. And at harvest time, they produce great, excellent fruit. So you can see the work of a gardener, of a farmer, of a vine dresser, as he's cutting off all the limbs that are going to take the life out of the fruit that really matters and that really tastes sweet. 
sweet and is really precious. But as you're watching, you know, the pruning take place, it doesn't look like a very pleasant process, does it? It includes a knife or shears or whatever it takes, and they prune off and lop off the parts that suck the life out of the branches that are really most precious to bear fruit. And what our master, our father, what our gardener does is that he comes into the vineyard and he looks at the branches that have evidence of the life of the vine in them and he says, I'm going to make sure that these branches are as fruitful as possible. So he comes in and he starts cutting off little stems. He starts cutting off little pieces and he may even remove some, some fruit that may look okay but is not the kind of fruit that he wants to produce to get rid of that so that there could be great, full, sweet juicy fruit that gives him great glory and that he could take great pride in. And Jesus is saying here, he's saying the father is the gardener. The father is the harvester. The father is the vine dresser. And what he does for some of us, some of us may actually have evidence that there's no life of the vine in us. And this is very sobering, friends. Some of us may be in here in this, in this vineyard at Valley Bible Church. We may look like a vine. We may smell like a vine. But you know what? There's no life of the vine in us. We may name the name of Jesus Christ, but if we don't have his life in us, he cuts us off and we get burned in the fire. Friends, this is the judgment of God. Do you have the life of the vine in your heart and in your life today? Do you have the life of the vine who's Jesus in your life today? Now, if you've got the life of the vine in you, you may also experience a little bit of pain, right? A little bit of discomfort, right? Because that gardener comes along, and what does he do? He begins to prune. He begins to cut. And I don't know about you, but I'm like, hey, give me those shears. You know what? Give me that knife. I'm going to be the one that determines which stems get cut off and which fruit goes. But that's not how it works. The branch isn't in charge. The gardener is. And I tell you what, the last 18 months, I've been feeling it. Have you been feeling it? The gardener coming into your life into the branch of your life and maybe cutting off a little bit here, cutting off a little bit there. And all friends, it hurts at a time, but what we can trust about this good, heavenly gardener father is this, is that he always cuts off and prunes for his glory and he always cuts off for our complete and lasting joy that we may bear good fruit. Now this pruning work of the Father, this pruning work of the gardener in our lives, there's another passage in the Bible that, that, that uses another illustration of a, of a dad and a son. And we see that in, in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 through 11. I don't know about you, but I never really enjoyed being disciplined by my parents, right? It's not fun, right? It's not fun. But we see that discipline, when administered rightly, has such a good benefit for children. In fact, we read in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 through 11, it says, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which we've all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they, meaning earthly dads, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But He, our Heavenly Father, this Master Gardener, disciplines us for our good that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Can I get an amen? Amen. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. You see, this gardener, he's not just a crazy, sadistic master. He's the one that comes in and says, I love this vine. I love these branches. And what I want is I want them to have more joy than they've ever experienced in their life, more peace than they've ever had in their life. I want them to have the best fruit that they could ever enjoy. So I'm going to take a little here. I'm going to take a little there. Friends, what has God been pruning in your life recently? What is those, those painful things that maybe he's taken away? I know for many of us, for nearly a year, he took away even just this, the ability to meet in person and look each other in the eye and love each other and pray for each other. Praise God for those of you that are watching online as well. But my goodness, it's been, it's been hard, has it not been? We've seen loved ones 
We've seen people in this church, friends, family, sick, hospitalized. We've seen things happen all over this globe. We've seen things happen in this nation. We've seen things happen in our state, in our community, in our church. And maybe you've got things happening in your lives recently. Maybe long ago that you've seen the pruning work of God in your heart. And you may recognize, oh, it hurts. It's painful. But I can see that the Father is doing something that I can never do for myself. He's training me and teaching me and growing me so that I can have the fruit, full fruit of righteousness, and that my joy may be complete. Friends, we're not in charge of that pruning work. That belongs to the Father. So what's our response to this? It's trust. It's trust. Our responsibility to this gardener isn't to try and take that knife away. It's not to resist and say, this can't be good for me. It's to say, Lord, this is so painful. But I lay these stems at your feet. Jesus himself said, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And he obeyed the will of the Father for the joy set before him. And in the same way, friends, you and I can have that same trust in our Heavenly Father that the pruning work that he's been doing in our lives, my life, I've felt it, friends. I've felt it. It's been hurt. It's hurt badly the last few weeks even, the last month. Lord, Lord, this pruning hurts. But as we get alone, as we call out to him, we say, Lord, I trust that you're doing all of this for fruit, for great joy, for peace. So I want to ask you today, what kind of pruning has the gardener been doing in your life? Will you trust the gardener? Trust the gardener that he knows what he's doing. Trust him. His life is our life. We don't add Jesus Christ to ours. We get infused into his. His life is our life. Well, we've seen the gardener. Well, let's take a look next at the vine. The vine. And in verse 1 of John 15, Jesus says, I'm the true vine. In verse 4 again, he says, I'm the vine. In verse 5 again, I am the vine. But what's interesting is in verse 1, he says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. I'm not just a vine, and I'm not just the vine. I'm the true vine. Vine. I, and this is referring to Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the one who was promised to come and bring the blessing that God had promised to Abraham to this whole world. And Jesus says, I am the true vine. Now, as, as he's saying this, I think his disciples, because his disciples lived under the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, and throughout the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, over and over and over again, God compares his people Israel, guess what, to a vineyard. To a vineyard. And he says, I have this vineyard. And this vineyard was planted and intended and I nurtured it and I cared for it so that it would bear fruit. Bear fruit for that nation and bear fruit for the whole world. But here's what God has to say about his vineyard, Israel, from the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Isaiah writes, Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there uh, to do for my vineyard that I have not done it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness... But behold, an outcry. 
God's intention was that Israel would be the source of blessing in all the world for the people of Israel, but also for, for all the Gentiles that they may pluck the fruit and enjoy the blessing of God there. But when God looked down, he didn't see a faithful people. He didn't see a true vine. He saw a wild vine with wild grapes. The people of Israel, they rejected their God. They bowed down to the idols and that caused them to become very immoral. They mistreated the oppressed. They did not give justice. They shed innocent blood. They had no righteousness. And God said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to judge my vineyard. So we're left asking the question, how is, going to, how is God going to fulfill his promise? Where is this fruit of blessing going to come from? And Jesus comes on the scene. And he says, I am the true vine. I am the one that brings true justice. I am the one who brings true righteousness. I'm the one who brings true peace and joy. So when Jesus tells his disciples, what he's saying here is this. He's saying that old vineyard that got trampled down is long gone now. But I'm here to tell you, I'm the true vine. All the promises and blessings of God can be found in me. Come to me. I am the true vine. You see, the vine is the source of all the nourishment that the branches need. It, it would be foolish to go and look for a branch that was lying on the ground and see, uh, to see it growing. No, if a branch falls on the ground off of the vine, what happens to it? It dries out, it rots, and it, it gets, eventually it just wastes away. But the kind of vine that bears fruit has branches connected to it. The branches need the vine. And us, as God's branches, there is no life without connecting and abiding in the vine. But, but Jesus is the true vine, amen? He is the source of all spiritual life and, 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 and purpose. And, and He's the source of all joy and peace. However, Jesus gives His disciples con conditions related to this vine. He gives them conditions. He says, I'm the true vine, but, but verse 5, he says, Whoever abides in me and I in him, he, is, is, he it is that bears much fruit. Why? Because apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away. But verse 7, again, another condition. If you abide in me and my ab words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done to you. Now listen, that what, what this doesn't mean is that Jesus isn't enough. Jesus is the true vine. All the nourishment that the branches need are there in the vine. All the things that the disciples needed, spiritual peace, love, hope, joy, purpose, is found in Jesus. But the condition still remains. It's not the deficiency of the vine, but the branches have to abide. The branches have to abide. All of the spiritual nourishment, friend, that you want, that you desire, that you hope for, all the joy, all the peace, all the love, it's all there in the vine who is Jesus Christ. But the issue is not whether he's sufficient enough. The issue is, will you abide? Will you abide? This vine has more than we could ever hope or ask for. But will we abide in this vine? That's the invitation. Jesus says, first of all, when you abide in me, you abide in my love. At the end of verse 9 in John 15, it says, abide in my love. Well, what does that mean? Well, Jesus goes on to talk about this kind of love that his disciples were going to display as an example of his love. And so when he says, abide in my love, he says, this is what that love looks like. Verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Abiding in the vine means abiding in his love that was sacrificial. We recall his sacrifice, that he would lay down his perfect life for our sinful, imperfect lives. Oh, what great love that it is on display that Jesus would lay down his life for you and for me. When we abide in his love, we recall this great sacrificial love that he gave for you and for me. Not only that, this, this love is demonstrated in, in the fact that he doesn't call us slaves or, or servants any longer. It says there in verses 14 to 15, I, I'm not calling you servants anymore, but I call you friends. Friend. You know, I, Jesus doesn't just love you. He says, I call you friend. I want to be with you. I want to hang out with you. I want my life to be your life. 
I don't know about you, if there's anything that's unworthy that I should be called of Jesus, it's friend. Maybe betrayer, denier, disappointer, uh, rebel. Uh, maybe it's enemy even. But Jesus comes because of his love and he says, Matthew, I call you friend. Today, today you, friend, today, wherever you sit or wherever you're sitting at home watching online, Jesus in his love calls you friend. 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 If you obey his commands, he says, that's my friend right there. They're showing that the, he, he's my friend because he, he does what I say. I don't have to treat him like a master treats a servant. I can treat him as my friend. Not only that, but verse 16a, we see that, that, that we're not his friends because we were all that. He says, he, you didn't choose me, disciples. I chose you. I chose you, Peter, knowing that you would deny me three times. I chose you, James and John, knowing that you would be guys who would be called sons of thunder and that you'd blow it all the time. I chose you to be my friends. You didn't bring anything great to me. I brought all the greatness to you. I want to tell you here today, if you're a part of this family, a part of the family of God, it's not because you chose him, it's because he chose you. God chose not many mighty, not many wise, not many wealthy, not many powerful according to the, this world, but he says, I've chosen the lowly things to confound the wise. He chose because he loves you, friend, because he loves you unconditionally. Abiding in the love of Jesus recalls his sacrifice. Abiding in the love of Jesus recognizes that he calls you friend. And abiding in the love of Jesus is remembering that he chose me and I did not choose him. Abiding in his love. Abiding in his love. We also abide in his words. It says in verse 7 and verse 10, he says, Abide in my words and let my words abide in you. He says in verse 10, If you keep my commandments, his words, his commandments, uh, you will abide in my love. You see, we don't keep Jesus' commandments to earn his favor. We keep his commandments because he's already showered his favor upon us. But when the Father looks down at us branches... He's looking for life in you and life in me. And that life is demonstrated in a willingness to say, I want to obey the commands of the one who's loved me and called me friend. Are you obeying his words today? Are you listening to the words of the vine? Are you obeying his commands out of love? Not out of obligation, not out of law, not out of duty. Jesus didn't come to his disciples and say, uh, if you abide in me, it means that you've got to really pay close attention to the Ten Commandments and you've got to, you know, really practice all of the Mosaic Law. He says, no, come, abide in my love and abide in my words. And my words say this, love one another just as I have loved you. This is my commandment that you love one another. This is what it means to abide in the vine. This is what it looks like, abiding in his love and abiding in his words. Think about it, though. Branches and vines, they can't survive without the vine. In fact, starvation comes from isolation. The longer we isolate ourselves from the vine, the more starved and parched and thirsty and dried up and discouraged and defeated and beaten up and tired and worn out we're going to feel. Starvation comes from isolation. You see, Jesus isn't someone that we just add to our life. I check off the box on Sunday, maybe a couple times a month. You know, I give from time to time, whatever. That's nice. Jesus has been added to my life. And boy, he sure is a great benefit. Jesus says, no, I'm the vine. You're the branch. Come, abide in me. Don't starve yourself. When you isolate from me, you're starving yourself. Come, come. My life is your life. My life is your life. Jesus says in, said in John 6, 54 to 57, he said, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Now he's speaking metaphorically there about receiving him by faith. And he says, and I will raise him up on the last day for my flesh is true uh, food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living father sent me and I live because of the father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. Have you been abiding in the vine recently? Do you feel defeated and dried up? He's inviting you to say, come, quit starving yourself. 
Quit, quit getting dehydrated. Come, come. Don't isolate. That leads to starvation. Come, abide in my love. Abide in my words. Branches, friends, we cannot survive apart from the vine. He's the bread of life and the spring of living water. Sometimes we believe we can be self-sufficient, that we can provide for our own needs, that we could pursue our own happiness, our own purpose, our own joy, dictated on our terms. Yeah, we'll add a little Jesus to our life, but Jesus is totally destroying that paradigm for true joy and for true happiness. That way of life is foolishness. But the truth says his life is our life. We must and we should abide in him, abide in his word, and abide in his love because he is the vine, the source of all nourishment. Thirdly, the branches. We'll move quickly. The branches. Well, who are the branches? We've seen the gardener, we've seen the vine, we've seen the father, we've seen the son. Well, who are the branches? The branches are the disciples. Jesus is speaking to them. He says, I'm the true vine. You disciples are the branches. And by extension, because we are also followers of Jesus Christ, because we've listened to the word of those disciples, their testimony and their witness, and we have it written down in his word, guess what that makes us? Disciples. Disciples. God the Father is the gardener. Jesus is our vine, and we are his branches. We are the Father's handiwork. He's the one that is pruning us and, and cutting us and doing a work in our lives, even if it's sometimes painful, for his great glory and for our great joy and for our great peace. We could trust the gardener, and we have to find full dependence and full nourishment from the one who is the vine. We abide in him. I love what verses 7 through 8 say in chapter 15 of John as, as our passage today. It says again this, If you abide in me, Jesus tells these branches, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever it wish and it will be done for you. Can you believe that? The branches actually get to talk to the gardener and say, I'm connected to the vine and I trust in your plan to prune me and I want to bear fruit. So guess what? I'm going to ask for this. He says, come on, I'm listening. Isn't that wonderful? The gardener wants to listen to you, friends. He wants to answer your prayers as you're abiding in the vine and as you're trusting in his pruning work. He says, if you've got my agenda in mind, ask whatever you wish and I'll do it for you. God is not stingy in answering prayer. He wants to do it. Verse 8 goes on to say, By this my Father is glorified. The way I imagine this is, is Jesus saying, By this the gardener takes great joy in his award-winning vineyard. Fruit busting out all over the place. By this my Father is glorified. But then he goes on to say this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. It's evidence. He's, he's looking back. He come, you drive by this award-winning vineyard. He says, do you see the vine? Do you see how beautiful this vine is? How sufficient this vine is? How strong and glorious this vine is. Look at those branches. They're receiving all the life from that vine. I've pruned them exactly how they need to be pruned according to my perfect plan. And go look at that vineyard. You're going to find fruit busting out all over the place. You could tell that those branches belong to that vine. Look at all the nourishment they're receiving. Friends, that's what brings the Father glory. He wants to look in the vineyard of our lives. In fact, He wants to look in the vineyard of this church at Valley Bible Church. If, they were, if, if the Father was to drive by, would He say, there's my award-winning vineyard. I see branches abiding in the vine. I see branches that are trusting the pruning that I've been doing in their lives. And I see branches that are producing fruit that is busting out all over this place. They're loving each other. They're serving each other. They're laying down their lives for one another. They're listening to each other. They're caring for one, one another. They're showing humility toward each other. And they're being a witness in this world that this vine is the one true vine because they've got the life of the vine in them busting out in fruit. Is this an award-winning vineyard, friends? Would God get great glory in the vineyard that is at Valley Bible Church? Would God get great glory from the branch that you represent and the fruit in your life? Again, the invitation is, let my words and love abide in you. Keep my commandment, love one another. Truly abiding in the vine results in his word abiding in us and producing fruit. Well, what is that fruit? It's obedience to Jesus' commands. It's, it's, it's culminating in love for one another. It's, it's, it's verse 8 that says, the production of the fruit of the branch is the proof that the life of the vine is flowing through it. If there's no fruit, 
There's no life. But if fruit is present, the life of the vine is present. Love for one another is the goal. Love is the fruit. The glory of the Father and the complete joy of the branches, us, Jesus' disciples, that's the purpose. His glory, our full and complete joy. Look again at John chapter 15, verse 11. These things, this whole illustration, all the things that Jesus has been saying that we've been hearing all these last words, here's what he's saying. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full, complete, perfect. How many of you want perfect, complete joy in your life? I do. I do. I do. Trust the gardener. Abide in the vine. Display the fruit of the life of the vine in your life. And he says, Jesus, your joy will be full. That's the path to joy. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6 say this. And by this we know that we've come to know him. If we keep his commandments. Now, that order is important. We know him and we display it by keeping his commandments. Verse 4 of 1 John 2 says, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Abiding in the vine means fruit. Fruit obeying his commands, displaying the love of Jesus that he displayed for us toward one another. Let me ask you this. Are you producing fruit today? Do you have the life of the vine in you, Branch? And as I'm saying this, I, part of me is sitting in those pews as well. Do I have the life of the vine in me? Am I putting his fruit on display Am I a part, am I contributing to God's glorious award-winning vineyard here at Valley Bible Church and in our community? Are you? Are you displaying the life of the vine in you through fruit? Are you abiding? And as a church, let's consider this. Boy, the last month has been difficult. I've had lots of conversations with many of you. It's been so tough. Questions we've been asking. Things we've been wondering Lord, that's pruning it. It hurts. But you know what? I believe that God wants to look down at this church and see an award-winning vineyard. He wants to see fruit on display in the branches that call Valley Bible Church home. Would we be considered an award-winning vineyard today? Would the Father look around and see the fruit of love and joy on display in your life and in my life would we be able, would you be able to come up to Matthew and say, oh, you know what? I see the life of the vine in him. I'm going to come pluck some fruit and enjoy that fruit, that fruit of love for me from Jesus through him. Would I be able to walk up to you, brother, sister, and say, oh man, there's a branch that is just busting out with fruit in their life. So much so that their co-workers and neighbors are seeing the love of Jesus and they're picking on that fruit too. They're coming to Jesus. They're seeing how beautiful he is, how loving he is, how peaceful he is, how much joy he gives their hearts. There's fruit everywhere. That's what a prize-winning vineyard looks like, friends. Fruit. But it's up to you as individual branches are you abiding in the vine? Are you abiding in the vine so that Valley Bible Church can be called the Father's award-winning vineyard for His glory, but for our complete joy? That's the path to joy for Valley Bible Church, abiding in the vine. Amen? Amen. Finally, and in closing, remember, His life is our life. We've seen the gardener. We've seen the vine. We've seen the branches. Fourthly, let's just ask the question, what does it mean when Jesus invites us to say, abide in me? Abide in me. Well, that word abide means to remain, to stay, to reside, to wait, uh, to remain in the same place over a period of time. So you can imagine, Jesus is my new address, and I plan on staying for a really, really long time, right? It's the idea of staying where you live. When Jesus says, abide in me, abide in me he means remain with me, stay with me, live with me, wait next to me. Friends, Jesus wants to hang out with us. 
I know that sounds almost a little bit sacrilegious, but he wants to hang out with you. He wants you to abide with him. Branches, he's saying, remain connected to me, the vine. Wait on me. Rely on me. Depend upon me. Trust in me. If we seek to live the Christian life as an add-on, it will produce no fruit. His life must be our life. Otherwise, we're just striving in vain. We can't be our own source of strength, love, wisdom, and life. We must derive our nourishment from the outside for ourselves. Where does that come from? Jesus. Jesus, the vine, is the only source of true life. His life is our life. And so he's saying and inviting you and inviting me, will you come abide in me? Wait on me. Hang out with me. Rest in me. Trust in me. Our pastor emeritus, I got to meet with him this week and he handed me this little book on the life of Hudson Taylor called Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret. And he said, Matt, I want you to take a look at this book and I want you to find if you could catch the secret in this book of Hudson Taylor. Now, if you're not familiar with Hudson Taylor, he was, he was a, a pioneer missionary in inland China in the uh, 1800s. Uh, he was the founder of uh, China Inland Mission. Uh, he had so much trouble, so much hardship in that journey. Uh, he lost children, eventually lost his wife. He worked hard for Jesus, but he often lived a, a discouraged Christian life. Maybe you walked in here today feeling like, I, I want to follow Jesus, but boy, I feel discouraged today. But in, in Hudson Taylor's spiritual secret, in by 1869, he writes, he, he'd never felt so worn out, pressured, or discouraged. He clung desperately to the end of his physical, emotional, and spiritual hope. But then he finds a letter from his friend, John McCarthy, and, and this friend writes to him, and, and he could tell that Hudson was exhausted from strive, all the striving after holiness. He's, you see, Hudson, he, he's got a good goal. He wants to bear fruit. I want fruit, I want fruit, I want fruit. He's working real hard for the fruit. But his friend helped him, remind him, there is no fruit apart from the vine. Hudson was tired from trying to produce the fruit of his life and his own strength, but oh, everything changed when he discovered the secret. And uh, I'll read it for you. He says this, How then to have our faith increased? Only by thinking of all that Jesus is and all that he is for us. His life, His death, His work, He Himself as revealed to us in the Word to be the subject of our constant thoughts. Not a striving to have faith, but a looking off to the faithful one seems all we need. A resting in the loved one entirely for time and for eternity. He discovered the secret. The secret isn't trying to be more busy. The secret isn't trying to be more faithful, but looking to the faithful one. And as he experienced that, this abiding rest and trust, this invitation from Jesus, come abide in me, Hudson wrote afterwards about the impact of these words saying, as I read, I saw it all. I looked to Jesus. And when I saw, oh, how joy flowed. He went from living the discouraged Christian life to living out John chapter 15, verse 11, where Jesus writes, These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. You see, friends, living the Christian life isn't adding Jesus to us. His life is our life. The joy-filled life is the abiding life. The life that rests, the life that trusts, the life that hopes, the life that depends on, the life that looks to, the life that feeds on, the life that drinks from the vine, who's Jesus Christ, abiding in Him, abiding in Him alone. Oh friend, today the invitation is extended from Jesus to you and to me. Jesus looks at us, His branches, and He says, abide in me. Abide in my love. Abide in my words. The Father will prune you, but he'll do it for his glory, and your joy will be full. Display fruit as you abide in me of loving one another, and the Father will get glory in his great and award-winning vineyard. Will he find an award-winning vineyard here today? Let's bow our heads and take just a moment to reflect as we close. You see, Jesus is the beginning and the end of our lives and purpose. We, we never move on from Jesus as if Jesus is something just to gain and then move on from. As if there's something better to learn than Him. So friend, if you're here today and 
you find yourself getting tired of living the Christian life, perhaps it's time to come abide once again. Perhaps it's, it's been way too long. Perhaps the isolation from Him is causing starvation in your life. But as Hudson Taylor learned, the key, the secret to living the Christian life isn't to trying harder. It's to abiding in the vine. Trusting in Him. Resting in Him. Listening to His voice from the Scriptures. Meditating upon His love for you. His sacrificial love for your life. Meditating on His commands. Feasting on His words. They give life. Friend, if you're starving today, look to the vine who's Jesus. And I'll ask you, branches, is there an area of your life today where you haven't been abiding? Is there an area of your life where you haven't been abiding? Haven't been trusting? Haven't been abiding in His love? Maybe you feel like a dried up branch. Jesus invites you today. Abide in his love. And finally, maybe you're sitting here today and, and you've never known that life. Maybe you've, you recognize, I'm not in that vineyard. I've never crossed that line to, to put faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. We want to invite you today. The invitation stands for you too. Come abide in the vine. Come find all your life and joy and peace and hope and purpose. Jesus isn't an add-on. You can't add him on. That's not the invitation. The invitation is to say, come and he'll make his life your life. He'll put new heart's desires in you that will change you forever and ever so that you could bear fruit and that your joy could be made complete too. We want to invite you today. If you've never done that and you want to do that, find a pastor, an elder, a deacon, find somebody, an usher. We want to help you know how you can make that transition to putting your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, I'm convicted by this, but I hear the words of Jesus and I don't hear guilt. I don't hear shame. I don't hear fear. I don't hear a master who is berating uh, his servants. I hear someone who says, I call you friend today. And my invitation is to come and abide in me. Come rest in me. Come trust in me. Find the secret of true spiritual joy by abiding in me. Father, I pray that every branch in this room today and watching online, that we would make it our mission to rest and abide in the love and the words of Jesus. That's the hope for Valley Bible Church. That's the hope for our lives moving forward. What are the next steps? The next steps are abiding in Jesus. Father, I pray that you'd find each and every single one of us individually and corporately trusting in, relying upon, and resting in the vine. And we will trust you as you've been pruning us. We trust you that you are doing all things for your glory and for our good and for our joy. Would you allow fruit to bust out in this church in the days and weeks and months and years to come? Let the fruit of love for one another bust out so that the world would see that there is a true vine here and his name is Jesus Christ. Father, please do it in our midst. Bring great healing, great hope, great purpose, great joy to our lives as we abide in the vine. It's in his name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Keep abiding and we'll see you next week.